Welcome to the Biz News Power Hour, where we give you the rational perspective on business news that matters. And tonight, plenty of rational perspective for you. We'll be hearing as Magda Wierzykcza uh, calls out Elon Musk. Yep, you'll get it right here on the Power Hour. It's gone global. Uh, we'll hear more about that ahead of it from uh, Justin Rowe Roberts in just a moment. Also tonight, the big interview with Tsepo Malelwa, who is the executive chairman of Arena Publishing and now the chairman of South African Airways, of which his consortium has acquired 51%. We'll also hear more about the Cape Independence Movement from Phil Craig, who is celebrating yet another victory, and David Shapiro, this being a Monday, is our guest co-host. But first, let's get into the markets with Justin Rowe Roberts. Bright Rock believes that with every change in life comes opportunity and the markets aren't any different. The daily movement in the markets mean change for us all, sometimes small, sometimes big. This daily market report is made just for you by Bright Rock, the first ever needs meshed life insurance that changes as your life changes. How's that story about Magda Wizekcha, Justin? Unbelievable, Alec. Two of the great innovators um, in the world at the moment, or at least in the business world, going head-to-head. Great to see, and Magda making her name on the international stage just where she belongs. Um, to the markets, the JSE All Share Index was up at 68,000, a good start to the week. The rand weakened against all the major currencies to 13 rand 75 cents to the dollar, 19 rand 42 cents to the pound, and 16 rand 68 cents to the euro. Gold is sharply down at $1,850 an ounce. A Kruger Rand is down with the gold spot price, trading at approximately 26,000 Rand. Brent crude is staying strong at $73.50 a barrel. And Bitcoin is well up over the weekend, trading at 555,000 Rand. If I go have a look at the major moves for the day, Sasol increased. They came out with a positive announcement this morning. If I look at the big losers, the mining shares, which is a cause for concern. This is a few weeks, even months in a row now that the mining shares have sort of plateaued or even decreased. Goldfields down 5%, DRD gold 4%. Um, if I go look at some of the winners now, looking at the retail shares, the Fashini Group, they released results last week at 130 rand a share, initially down 5%, all the way down to 120. 25% increase in the last two trading days. Wow, that's incredible for a company worth around 50 billion rand. Uh, Motus, Capco, Overseas REIT. Yeah, a lot of green on the board here, yeah, and the JSE All Share Index a half of a percent up. Good start to the week. You didn't mention Nuspass, which has also been in the news, but... My feeling about that with the 36 asset managers taking on management and then management fighting back to say, we're not such bad guys and we aren't destroying so much value. It can only be good for shareholders. And certainly we saw after coming under a bit of pressure uh, over the past couple of weeks, NASPAS's share price was up 1%, 33 rand a share today. Not bad. Agree completely, Alec. I think the big story here, it was great to see those 36, I would actually call them boutique asset managers, ganging up together um, in a stance of shareholder activism. The big surprise there, the big three, Alan Gray, Coronation and 91, all not on the signatories. Why is that? Well, Delphine did say, uh, Delphine Governor, who coordinated, she's 
very clear that she wasn't the instigator behind it. She just facilitated. But she said those three big guys, they like to do their own thing. Liberty was also not, Stan Lib was not there either. That they like to be making their own statements, so they're not going to participate. But the biggest of them all, the Public Investment Commissioners, was there. So they're also a signatory of it. Interesting story. We had uh, lots of calls from uh, the PR agencies today. Do we want to talk off the record with them? And I said, no. What's the point in talking off the record uh, with management when what we want is tell us what you're going to do about this? How are you reacting to these asset managers? How are you going to fix things? Or why aren't you listening to some of the really good suggestions that they have? Exactly, Alec. These are some of the shrewdest guys in the asset management industry. They've been around. Uh, they're seasoned professionals. And and it'll be interesting to see what happens. Let's hope that maybe Bob van Dyke one day this week will face the music with the business team. We also would love to know more about Cape Independence, and particularly as a Capetonian yourself, uh, where you stand on this issue. Alec, you know me and politics, I, I tend not to stay involved, so I'm not going to have too much to comment on the matter. <laughs> okay, but I can tell you what, Phil Craig is going to have a lot to comment on that matter later in the show. Uh, he is the Cape Independence Advocacy Organization, which uh, which he's the spokesperson for. When we uh, just, just unpack a little bit more about Sassel, what was the big story there that saw the share price up 3%? Um, the Competition Commission allowed another one of their disposals, 8 billion coming through. Their disposal program really has been good. I've, I've listened to a lot of the shrewd asset managers. I think of Jean-Pierre Fister, who had a negative view on Sassel and says the management there have just done an incredible job since the beginning of the coronavirus last year. And at 240 rand a share, this is higher than pre-COVID levels. They've honestly done remarkably. Yes, the, the Brent crude price at $73.50 a barrel does help. Um, but yeah, really good from Sassel management, uh, especially given the horror show that was the Lake Charles project. This market report was made just for you by Brad Rock, the first ever needs matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. And time now for the flash briefing with our Jackie Cameron. South Africa will dispose of 2 million Johnson & Johnson COVID-19 vaccines following a U.S. ruling that ingredients for the country's doses may have been contaminated during production. The news marks a major setback in the country's vaccine rollout, just as a third wave of infections is gathering pace. However, Aspen Pharmacare, Africa's largest drug maker, is set to begin the production of new J&J vaccines by midweek. The Alexander Forbes Group has agreed to sell its life business to Sunlum as part of its strategy to focus on its core retirements, savings and investments business. The group said it had agreed on about 100 million rand for its group risk and retail life business, which has insurance premium income of about 1 billion rand. Alexander Forbes is now on the hunt for businesses to acquire to build out its employee benefits offering after finalizing plans to exit its insurance arm. Fulvio Tonelli has been elected chairman of South Africa's Independent Regulatory Board for Auditors. Earlier this year, Finance Minister Tito Mboweni dissolved the entire board of the watchdog that investigates auditing failures in corporate South Africa. Tonelli is a chartered accountant and former registered auditor. He is a non-executive director at APSA and previously served as audit partner at Standard Bank and First Rand. Under Tonelli, the board's immediate task is to initiate a process to elect and appoint a new CEO and work with management to restore staff morale, said the Ministry of Finance. 
South Africa-born Tesla founder Elon Musk has hit back at South African financial services entrepreneur Makata Vizhiska over allegations in a business interview that he manipulated the price of Bitcoin for his own purposes. In a tweet, Musk responded to Vizhiska's allegations, saying this is inaccurate. Tesla only sold about 10% of its holdings. He also said that when there's confirmation of reasonable clean energy usage by miners, Tesla will resume allowing Bitcoin transactions. That was your business flash briefing. I'm Jackie Cameron for business. For more on those and the other big stories of the day, go to biznewsradio.com. It's Monday, which means it's David Shapiro. Dave, uh, first night on Chai FM in, uh, in Johannesburg. <laughs> so we've got Evermore in Cape Town, Chai FM in Johannesburg, and, of course, worldwide on biznewsradio.com. And I worked out that when we started uh, the Biz News Power Hour, it was exactly 24 years after you and I mm-hmm. First went on air with Business Radio in South Africa, April 1997. In the depths of, uh, SA, of, of uh, the SABC's building. The dungeons. Down in those, mm, yeah, mm. I wonder if they still use those dungeons. They were so deep down so that even if they hit a, a nuclear bomb and hit the SABC, uh, the old apartheid government would be able to continue broadcasting, no doubt. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, Alec, credit to you. You were a leader in business news and no one can ever take that away from you. A lot of people have come after you, but uh, you initiated it and had a huge following well, and still have. I'm not saying you have, you've lost it, but I'm mm-hmm. saying it's – I always recall that, you know, you gave it its popularity that um, so many other stations have today. It's nice to see that it, it uh, that business mm-hmm. is on the agenda uh, as, as aggressively as it is. But yeah. there's so much – there's so much interesting mm-hmm. stuff that goes on in the business mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. And what I love about business – Broadcasting and, and the business world generally is that it matters. You know, there's, mm-hmm. there's a heck of a lot of other news material that really doesn't matter. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the, the hot air from the one side or the other side. Um, yet when it comes to business, it does affect us. The economy affects us. It affects the way we live. And, and you were just saying before we came on air that mm-hmm. one of the big changes, for instance, is the way that the world is moving now away from internal combustion engines or in other words, mm-hmm. petrol-driven engines, to electric vehicles. Now, we've seen uh, Tesla's share, uh, share price uh, rocket in, uh, in anticipation of this mm-hmm. and, of course, come down because it went too far. But what about the rest of the market mm-hmm. and our mining shares and things like that? Look, our markets are doing okay. I think that um, uh, we're holding up. Um, we can't ignore the underlying economy. The only thing that's worrying me is that we're starting to see our mining shares roll over a little, um, which is a bit of a worry because, um, I, you know, this is for me, it's a big theme. And why it's a big theme is because of the themes that are coming out or came out of the G7, which is a clean air. I know it's clean air, COVID and China. But I think the all the, you know, the big all the seas, but the big story is clean air, mm. and we've tended to ignore it. I know that we've been talking a lot about it in the last few months, but uh, you know Biden's come out with his uh, his his answer to uh, to China's Belt and Road, which is going to be more greening. But the motor vehicle side is very important. And why I say that is it needs copper. You need nickel. You need a number of, of, of uh, minerals that are going to go into this transformation of the motor industry, which is just one part of the greening um, of, of the world. But I think this is an exciting area as companies transform their businesses to cater for it. So yeah. mm. I still expect that mining side to hold up. 
You know, I'm not, I know we're seeing a little bit of a slowdown there, but I still think it's going to be uh, perhaps one of the big attractions of our market. We've spoken a lot to Nick, Neil Froneman on this program, and mm. it's interesting to see that he's also in that mindset that he's moving towards electric vehicle uh, absorbing uh, minerals, uh, trying to get more aggressively into that area. Is that a, a theme, Dave? Would you just buy mm. the Sabanya shares, put them in your bottom drawer and wake up in 20 years' time and say, you see? You, you're backing Neil. You know, you're backing him to make the right decisions. Um, platinum and palladium have just um, – they have run, palladium particularly, but seems to be flattening out now. I don't know enough about it. I don't know whether this move to uh, electric vehicles, particularly in Europe, is going to affect the demand for platinum. I can't see it too much, and I still think there's going to be shortages there. Unless, so unless, mm-hmm. unless fuel cells, unless fuel yep. cells take off, and and there are there are a couple of Toyota and Hyundai having mm-hmm. some big bets on fuel cells, and that's all platinum. It's a clean mineral. You know what I mean? Platinum is a clean mineral. It, it goes into that class of those minerals that I still think will be in demand. So don't ignore that side of our market. You know, keep a, keep a close watch on it. But I think so there's a lot that's going to happen despite the fact that we're going through a very difficult period with COVID. And we're also going through this big discussion about uh, interest rate, sorry, about inflation and how it's going to play out. I think. Focus on the themes, you know, in other words, focus on the businesses and, uh, um, it's, it's, you know, you to use Buffett. This is too difficult. It's one of those areas which we've got no control over. You know, we've got control over the companies. We can understand the companies. We don't understand the economics, rather focus on the companies. So it's in that pile, as Warren Buffett mm. says, the very, very small mm. pile. Uh, yes, you can buy it. <laughs> A much bigger pile says no, ignore it. And then the one that goes to the ceiling is too tough to call. So it's a too <laughs> yeah. tough to call. Somebody who's been calling and keeps calling it mm. and doesn't uh, shirk back is Magda Wizikcha. Mm. Uh, we got her on the program later this evening, and she's – She's out there, isn't she? She 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 speaks her mind. You might not always like what she says, but uh, she's had she's been very successful. Hmm. Remember, it was on this on your program that she said, "We no longer, I'm no longer going to be involved. I'm handing it over." And we said, "Please don't go, and Magda, please don't go." And you know, less than a month or two, she's back and stirring it up as usual, which is she heard what us. Magna is. You know, that's Magda, and and credit to her, she's great. You know, and you need people like this. Uh, you know, I love people like this who who stir things, who ask questions. And this new venture of hers sounds very exciting, where she's going to try and monetize some of the intellectual property at our universities. In other words, help research and, and help them raise money from the research that they did, which he did with Oxford. It's it's so it's actually mm. a no brainer. Yeah, you've got this huge mm. brain power that's sitting at the great universities, very mm. bright people. I'm not necessarily talking about in the in the arts, but more in the sciences, in the math- mathematics uh, areas, who can then apply their ideas into something practical, which can be a business that the university can benefit from and those who fund uh, those university professors and, and great minds. It, it, it's done so well for her at Oxford, and yeah. surely it'll be the same here for UCT, WITS, and so on. And we've had a huge history in medicine. I mean, we've produced incredibly you know, good doctors. If you go around the world today, you know, I, I, I certainly know from around Boston, 
Uh, it's an area that I'm familiar with. The number of South African doctors there who've reached uh, high positions, and I'm not talking researchers. We even know, okay, going into even research or going into tech, going to Silicon Valley, and you hear some Afrikaans names, you say, is that, is that a Dutch name? No, no, that's from South Africa. Rudolf so, Boerter, yeah. Uh, Rudolf Boerter, <laughs> yeah. So, so I, you know, I think that, um, and what it does do is it attracts people to the university. If you're well known for your research, You will attract people. That's why they do it. And that's what a university should be for. You know, that's what professors are there. They're not to teach you um, what's it, uh, demand and supply curves or, you know, or, or they, they're there to do research. So, and, and medicine, I think in the real field of medicine, I, I just hope something happens there. What about South African Airways? Uh, I know yeah. Tepo Malelwa really well. He'll be with us a little later in the program to, this evening um, to unpack mm -hmm. exactly why he's involved with SAA. Here's a guy who's whew, entrepreneurial, David. Mm -hmm. He went into infrastructure in Africa long before it was popular, mm -hmm. 15 years ago. Uh, now he's uh, he's well established there with Harris. Then he bought Arena in media. He mm. bought a big chunk of EOH. But this is by far the biggest, uh, I suppose you could call it calculated mm. risk these he's taking on. Well, I'm, I'm backing get on Novik. You know the family the has partner, been involved. Yeah, yeah. yeah mm -hmm. the partner. And and I'm I'm hoping that he takes a an active role. You know, he was the man behind Kalula. Oh, he is. He's um, chief executive. Mm, He'll be completely, mm, well, completely that, immersed. That, from mm. my point of view, is the positive. I don't know. There's so much discussion about is the PRC, is this just no, another it's not. And that's also, deployment? I'm not, yeah, I'm, David, not, I'm not getting involved. David, you know mm. that's nonsense mm. because mm. when Tepo left the PRC, mm. the PRC seed funded him with mm. $17 million. They've got a, a multiple of that back for their seed funding. And they remain. That's inherent in the infrastructure fund. They don't. They don't. Mm. I, I just. I know the guy well enough to tell you, without conviction, uh, with total mm. conviction rather, that there's nothing to do with government. He's completely mm. private sector and completely focused as an entrepreneur. Mm. So well, I don't know why where these nonsense comes yeah. with these. No. So I'm saying I'm going along with somebody backing someone like Gidon who knows the industry, who was brought up in the industry. His dad, his family have been there. And if there's anybody who knows how to run an airline, you know, it's get on. So I'm sure that within a very short time, you will start to see differences. Where they're going to, where they're going to fly, I'll leave that up to get on. But I think it's, it's, it's a move in the right direction. But David, just think for a minute. If mm. you could get hold of a business that's got a great mm. brand, because SAA has mm. got a great, great mm. brand, that's been run by public sector, and you can actually transform private sector disciplines or instill mm. private sector disciplines into that business, man, you could have a winner. Oh, sure. You know, we've seen it. We've seen it, funny enough, with both Mango and with uh, with Kalula. So if you get those disciplines and uh, you get the organization and there's uh, you keep your staff numbers down, you keep your costs down, but you keep the technical side of it good, um, it, it will, you know, you will be able, this animal, sorry, this bird will fly again. Yeah. So um, I'm, I'm backing Gidon. You know, that's my story is mm -hmm. Gidon's involved. And, and knowing him for years and knowing what he's produced and knowing what his family did with Comair, 
um, I think there's a fighting chance. And they've certainly bought in at the bottom mm. of the market. And the other story that we're covering tonight is Cape Independence. <laughs> uh, it used to be a joke. It's not so, not so much a joke anymore. Uh, the, the idea uh, of the Cape Independence advocates is yeah. that the Cape will have a referendum within two years. How's that? Okay. Well, um, I think half of Transvaal is down there already. Half of our team is already living there. So but we yeah, aren't. Yeah. We're still up here. No, 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 no. I couldn't. I love the Cape, but mm. I'm not sure I could live there. And um, we've heard this before. I, it's Listen, the Cape is a wonderful place, and they've got a lot of good industries. And, I mean, they can make it from a tourist point of view, from agriculture, from wine, from everything. Tick. They've got some heavy, heavy, heavy hitters in Stellenbosch, and they've got some heavy hitters in Somerset West. They've got Jan Rupert. So, yeah, you know, there's a chance. But the mining boys will prevail, you'll see. So you, you, you reckon up north... Uh, the rest of South this Africa will still be. Yeah, yeah. This is where this is where the big boys are. <laughs> this currency focus is proudly brought to you by Treasury One, South Africa's leading treasury solutions company that unlocks financial value for your business. Joining me, Jackie Cameron, for Biz News on today's Currency Focus is Andre Sillier, Currency Strategist at Treasury One. Andre, last week the rand was looking strong. This week the headlines are telling us the opposite. The South African rand wilted to a 12-day low and is extending its losing streak. What's happened over the past week to change sentiment towards the rand? What happened over the past week is that we got the inflation figures out of America uh, and that missed the target again. Now, the initial reaction was sort of no reaction at all, and the rand stayed stable, and the dollar stayed stable. And then by, by the day thereafter, we saw that the dollar had actually gained some strength. Equity markets gained uh, quite a bit uh, on the back of that. And on the back of the stronger dollar, the rand had retreated, and I want to say slightly. Because, you know, 1378, 1365, come on. If people want to start talking about the Rand's now wilted and lose, or losing its winning streak, I think it's a little bit too early to say that. It's in reaction of the stronger dollar. Nothing to do with the Rand. The Rand still remains very much on the front foot. And people should stop looking purely of the value of the rand against the dollar. It's the value of the currency against a basket of currencies. And you just have to look at the pound and you just have to look at the euro and you will see that the rand's not really lost a lot of value. Still strong, still doing well, you know, and you can always expect that if it made a heck of a long run winning streak, that you will see a little bit of profit taking and it's just sort of stalling a little bit. You've been listening to Andre Salia, currency strategist at Treasury One. I'm Jackie Cameron for Biz News. For the full interview, do head over to biznewsradio.com. This currency focus was proudly brought to you by Treasury One, South Africa's leading treasury solutions company that unlocks financial value for your business. 
just ESCOM that's providing a source of frustration for you. It, it's uh, decisions by, for example, uh, the authorities to not allow Bitcoin into portfolios. Can you just elaborate a bit on why you think Bitcoin should be included in our portfolios? Jackie, um, look, I'm not a believer that Bitcoin, you know, in investment strategy and well-structured investment strategy has a strong place. You know, if you invest maybe 1% to, to, or 2%, that's plenty uh, for a normal strategy. But there are a lot of young investors, you know, in, in their 20s who want to play in that space and are playing in that space in a very unregulated manner. So we thought, you know, having a Bitcoin ETF at least provides them with a credible product. And we've got a lot of demand from the young investors for a Bitcoin ETF. Uh, we thought it would be good publicity for the JSE. I mean, I thought so two or three years ago when, when they rejected it. We could have been the first publicity. Canada is now the first. Um, but to be perfectly honest, look, we didn't expect the application, because obviously we've got all the structure, infrastructure set up. We didn't expect the application to be accepted. I didn't expect a rejection stamp on the same day as we applied. I expected them to take the application, put it in file 13, and allow it when they are ready to allow it, so when they believe that the national framework is in place. But we wanted to be the first in the queue, hence the submission, rather than um, you know, kind of expecting them to, to accept it and launch a Bitcoin ETF right now. So they didn't even consider your application. They basically immediately said no. Yeah, the same afternoon. Well, it's very short, um, uh, short-sighted, isn't it? I believe it's very short-sighted um, because I think look, Bitcoin is here to stay. What form it takes, you know, is it a? I think we've seen that it is possible to manipulate Bitcoin, and we've seen, you know, Elon Musk manipulating Bitcoin, um, you know, so and and Bitcoin price, which I think is, you know, SEC should be investigating because, you know, he bought Bitcoin onto the balance sheet of Tesla, $1.5 billion. He then made that news, you know, known in the market via social media. Obviously, a whole lot of retail small guys followed. Small guys, um, you know, drove up the Bitcoin price to $60,000. And then at the same time, to prop it up, he announced that he will accept Bitcoin as payment for Tesla cars. And then almost within a month, he announced that Tesla has disposed of large chunk of its position in Bitcoin, and he will no longer accept uh, Bitcoin as, as payment. So drove up, I mean, this is called typical pump and dump. Typical pump and dump, people have gone to jail. Jordan Belfort, the wolf of Wall Street, went to jail for pump and dump strategies that he employed. And I watched this, and it was exactly the same. And it is an unregulated asset class, so perhaps SEC doesn't have jurisdiction. But, you know, I'm absolutely appalled by the actions. You know, irresponsible. And it has cost small guys, literally the small guys, you know, the small retail day traders, possibly unemployed, a lot of money. Magnus, you've been quite critical about Bitcoin in the past or sort of shied away from it, from it or haven't encouraged people to invest in it. What is your view now? Do you think that the South African authorities should allow Signia to have a, a Bitcoin fund or a fund with some Bitcoin exposure? 
Well, first of all, you know, from, from, from an investment advisory perspective, I need to clarify that it's not a regulated product. I cannot comment either positively or negatively because it might be seen as advice. And, and, you know, we live in a very highly regulated environment. I don't want to be the first financial advisor who stands in front of the ombud trying to explain Bitcoin after some of, someone has lost some money. I've got my views on Bitcoin, which is evolving over time as my knowledge grows. I'm still not convinced that it's, it's, uh, it's going to replace gold or any other currency, but I think the Bitcoin crowd is, is running with that story, you know, the fiat currencies, and you need to replace it with something that's, and that you can't control. That's never going to happen. Governments will step in. Regulators will step in, and the taxman will step in, and that's what I've been saying for a long time. And that's exactly what's happening. Even even the Bank for International Settlements yesterday said we have to regulate Bitcoin, but it is a product, and if there is a demand for it, and there's a tremendous demand for it in amongst the youth, um, give them the marketplace. But stress that it's a high risk investment. Participate at your own leisure or pleasure or risk. But uh, uh, the JSC, who's already under pressure for not being innovative enough, in my view, could have considered it uh, and, and put it on as, a, as something that people can invest in. There are other instruments on the JSC that are equally speculative, and I'm talking about uh, uh, no-paid letters and, and, and ETFs and other kinds of stuff. Why not the Bitcoin? And uh, so my view as an investment advisor is, I cannot comment or give advice to buy or sell, which I won't. But personally, I I wouldn't put my own money into into Bitcoin. Maybe as a giggle, but I don't at this point see it as a viable investment for the mainstream asset classes. Magda, you've been in the news just about every day this week, I think, and one of the stories about you has been that you've come back to Signia after stepping down as CEO. Can you just give us a bit of the background to that and the decision and what the impact will be? And Jackie, I haven't come back to Signia. I never left. So the first thing is, you know, we, uh, in terms of JSC listing requirements, when a decision is made at a board level, you know, of, of significance such as a CEO stepping down, we have 48 hours to put it on sense and announce it to the market. Um, but when I communicated the news, and just to be clear, I only stepped down as co-CEO on the 1st of June. Um, so, you know, we're not talking about uh, you know, a long period. Um, so, so at that stage, there was some confusion around whether I could rotate into the position of chair. Um, and legal confusion. We actually were given wrong advice by being told that, you know, I won't be able to do that for three years um, and because of a cooling up period, which was an incorrect advice at the time uh, because it was always my intention to step into the chairman position. Uh, but we've clarified the legal position and, you know, it's, it, it is possible for me to immediately rotate into the chairman position and really it's a non-news because even at the time that we communicated um, the fact that I'm stepping down as co-CEO, we also communicated the fact that I will remain involved with the strategy of the business, product, international expansion, and engagement with key clients like Magnus, who can confirm that I have remained fully involved <laughs> with Signia since the announcement was made in May. So it was just unfortunate that no one was included. 
Um, but to be clear, I am not involved in the day-to-day -day management of Signia. I'm pursuing a number of other ventures, and David Hafton has taken over 100% as CEO of Signia. I'm literally playing the role of a sounding board to the executive team and to him. You know, I've got 25 years' experience in, in asset management. Uh, but you know, to be perfectly honest, um, you know, I've done the same job in different companies for 25 years. Um, I think I'm at a juncture in my career, 51 years old, where I would like to kind of spread my wings and do some other things and not just be known for running asset management companies. <coughs> and hence, you know, I, I really have not stepped back in any managerial role at Signia. It's just a natural transition. I think one of the difficulties from the outside for you and possibly for Magnus as well is that your personal brands are so strong and people invest in you because they're in, and in your businesses because they trust you. So then when you step away, uh, it, do you think there's a bit of a risk there that, that the money will move away w when you step away? You know, so I'm not, again, as I said, I'll remain involved with clients. I will always be there for any client that wants to engage with me directly, which many do. Um, you know, I am completely involved in the strategy of the business. And, you know, the product innovation that Signia is kind of known for, you know, Signia Fourth Industrial Revolution Fund, uh, Signia OSI Fund, you know, that all comes from the fact that I have been able to, and being co-CEO, David gave me the freedom to roam internationally and to find these innovative ideas. Because, you know, it's very difficult to innovate if you are stuck in South Africa and you're not exposed to all these trends internationally. Well, over the weekend, you would most definitely have seen that South African Airways is now in private control, not 100% in private hands, 51% um, owned by a consortium that is led by Tsepo Malelwe, who joins us now, the chairman of an airline company, Tsepo. Uh, I mean, we know each other very well. You've been uh, EOH, uh, chairman of ARENA, and now South African Airways? Alec, as I, I think you've been, uh, I think, more in tune and, uh, you know, you've seen the, the journey that one has traveled in the past with regards to looking for uh, opportunities at the right time, perhaps also like at the right pricing level for entry from a competitive point of view from the various, uh, you know, angles that our platforms have. And this, uh, as you know, you know, we, we tend to go look for a different angle to what everybody else will look for in the market from a timing point of view. And and I think this one also represents one of those challenges. But it's not, it's very much, you know, what we what I want to call a calculated risk. We look at what the opportunity is. We look at what we have in our arsenal of uh, capabilities and partners that we can take on this to enhance some of the other place that we have within our portfolio and then take it from there. And we believe that aviation with regards to the, you know, African region represents that opportunity right now that I really believe that in the next three years will look very different yeah. to where we are today. A lot of people don't understand your story. And I've seen some very in an ill-informed comment. But if you, if you just take us back right to the beginning of Harris and how Harris started at a time when infrastructure into Africa 
was a dirty word. Nobody was really interested in investing in infrastructure in Africa. You did. Yeah, I think it's a bit uh, of a sad situation, you know, uh, Alec, that one finds there with, well, one gets very short of like actually calling it fake news because it's incomprehensible that people up to now still don't get it in terms of like what our story has been from in terms of like how Harith was started. In, with regards to, let's say, the funds that Harith raised when we initially started the first fund came from like you know, over nine uh, investors in the fund. Uh, good and well, one of those was the Government Employees Pension Fund, but like there were the likes of APSA, you know, all mutual, African Development Banks, pension funds of Ghana. So we had a whole multiplicity of so like investors in the in in terms of like the funds that we are managing and all for towards looking at the African infrastructure opportunity then, which everybody at that stage was saying there was not enough deal flow for infrastructure uh, private equity funding on the continent. And if you look now 15 years down the line, you know, we can't even find enough money to address the infrastructure backlog that is there and everybody's coming in, you know, uh, scrambling for those opportunities. But we started it long ago. And from a health point of view, we've even, when we started, whilst our seed funding came from the PIC, the initial fund manager was owned, uh, it was a private sector entity. We had APSA and all mutual, even as shareholders in the fund management business. So it was never meant or supposed to be a public sector platform or public sector owned vehicle. It has always been one wherein the investors had the interest in it. And the seed funding has been repaid? The seed funding was repaid in 2008, 2000, yeah, I think 2008, 2009. And like, you know, from a seed funding of you know, 17 million rands. I think the PIC got well in excess of like 70 million rands from 17 million rands that they initially gave us. It was more than an adequate return, you know, when when that happened. The real story here, though, is that you take long-term bets on turnaround situations as the Africa infrastructure story was in 15 years on. You know the continent well. And I guess that must have informed your ideas about becoming involved with a another turnaround situation in south african airways and b uh, an airline that that can serve the continent that's exactly the story you know from uh, because you know we try to find that which we can bring that's different to a situation or that which represents an opportunity in a situation from a longer term uh, or a more medium to longer term like perspective as opposed to a short term one if you look at the short term in terms of like you know, what the aviation sector has been done by the pandemic and the current situation, many people fear to go in there. But we know for sure people will always be traveling. The continent must still connect. The trade must still go on. And the aviation sector for the African continent remains then one of those sort of like, you know, front runners to bring back that trade, to bring back those connections and to connect those cities. And that's where it fits in with our whole infrastructure play, and that's where it fits in with the whole view of saying what this looks like today is very different to what it will look like in the next three to five years. In the next, travel will come back, trade will come back, the economies will we will get back. You no know, vaccines will be given out, and people like you know we will get a way to you know live and manage you know within this uh, pandemic or, or, or COVID situation. So. From that point of view, the, the travel opportunity, the connection opportunity comes back. This is the right time, I think, to build up because even from a, requir- a capital requirement point of view, 
you can take this build-up story as opposed to a a story where you're like, no, you're going to need a, a big entry ticket to get in right now. It's going to be a build-up over the next two to three years. What about Gideon Novik? He is, his family has been in aviation for decades, well known for building up Comair. After they left Comair, wasn't such a happy story for that company. To get him to come along for the ride, was it a difficult uh, discussion? No, I think, you know, we both got to each other and said there's this opportunity. They were doing left. You know, we had been looking at other, you know, aviation opportunities. As you know, like, you know, we even looked at some of, like, you know, airlines which had gone down in this market. Uh, you know, that is like, you know, it, it was commented upon earlier on in the year. So we've been looking at this and it was one of those conversations where when we sort of like this started having discussions, it just made sense for both of us. And I like the model which they, they were adopting. It fitted in with what we thought would be a way of like tackling this industry going forward, finding the right way in terms of like you no know, asset acquisition model, whereby like you know you're not you know, getting into expensive leases of brand new airplanes to like tackle this market, wherein you also have like you know, a very strong maintenance capability by the team that Global has built up, and uh, you know finding a very sort of like agile even technological sort of like entry into the sector. And those issues for us made a whole lot of sense from a partnership point of view because we're strong from like, you know, the, the context that we come from, but then like we always partner with strong partners operationally who we can uh, get into these opportunities with. Tipper, what's going to happen with the landing rights that SAA has internationally. Are you going to be able to resuscitate those, for instance, flying into Heathrow, JFK, and so on? I think when the international markets open up and those type of those will be looked at. But I can and and the Gideon side of things, and then maybe the, our other sort of like you no know, consultants will like very much you know assess from a timing point of view of those. But I cannot see how maybe some of these um, lucrative like routes which existed before, like London or New York, that in future might not be done by a, uh, an SAA sort of like you no know, brand. It's not one that is in the immediate. In the immediate, it's more a like you no know, domestic sort of opportunity, perhaps followed by the regional opportunity. And as markets open up and as, as like you no know, more international travel is opened up for South Africans, then you can look at those uh, international ones. But I don't see those like being perhaps in this next few months, perhaps next year early or something like that, depending on how, you know, uh, the, the markets open up. But those, there were two or three lucrative routes that South Africa had, you know, which uh, they, will, they, they will be resuscitated. There's just no way that some of those will be left out going forward. And what but about, mm, what, yeah. what about well, working with government? You have uh, the consortium has 51% of the new South African airways government with 49%. That sounds like a, a tricky situation to navigate through. I I really don't believe that in, in, in this situation, Alec. As you know, we've, we, we, have, uh, we have a lot of experience with infrastructure, sort of like you no know, contracting across the continent and even in South Africa. And, you know, ensuring that the a governance mechanism and then the right sort of like legal framework is put in place so that you can operate uh, the assets in a manner that is like, you know, unhindered or, you know, a- and agile and it's not like, uh, uh, you know, susceptible to unnecessary sort of like, you know, uh, pressures or like, I can't just find the right word for it, but 
those purely operational private sector satellite capability to move and move fast and be agile and control the platform and control the board is very key. And it was very key in ourselves and 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 and, and Giden as a partnership, you know, for, for our various platforms getting into this marriage. And that mattered. So therefore, and I think that is one uh, angle which up to now, you know, we found the government had already crossed. So we didn't need to let them, you know, uh, uh, give away any ideas about, let's say, where control of day-to-day management and of the board will be. That is a, that was a necessary sort of like a, a term of this engagement. And from a taxpayer's point of view, I suppose the big upside of this is, first of all, you, there is going to be a national carrier into the future, and we all love flying on our national carrier, particularly when we come back from abroad. But the second point here is that there'll be no more funding by the taxpayer. Is that written in stone? Yes, that is the manner in which going forward, even the government said that, like, that the, well, even when more money is required, they will not be the source of those of that capital that will either come from whatever cap- markets capital resources we find or from the uh, new consortium members it will not be from government and it is said that when everybody has been saying that like no government should not be running an airline and that it's something that like no that wherein there's vicious competition other players already and we should not be giving our very few uh, public resources to funding this thing, that it should go to other requirements, that, you know, you still find a hesitancy for people to sort of let a platform that we've created to take on this risk. It's not that it's not without risk, but if you find private capital prepared to take on that risk, then this is the way I think you should be commended and, like, no motivated. Lanceria, which is owned by Harris, the, uh, the, the airport, must we just presume that South African Airways will be flying out of Lanceria in future? No, it's not uh, that way. Like all sorts of like routes and connections. You know, as you know, even prior to uh, this whole period, Mango used to fly out of Lanceria. SAA did not fly out of uh, Lanceria, but Mango did. And that was like connecting all the domestic uh, connections. So going forward, we, we will still look at uh, what is feasible and what is not. But there will also be uh, clear lines of demarcation between like the two you know, operating entities to the extent that less, uh, new routes are found. Like, I think everything will be up uh, you know, for discussion at the moment. What happens to Mango? Does that come along with South African Airways as part of the bigger entity? That is still will be unpacked during the due diligence within the next, uh, you know, two months or so. As we look at, you know, the whole issue too of, as many people have mentioned, the issue of what happens to Lyft, what happens to Mango, that all becomes points for discussion between ourselves and also the government in the next uh, two months based on, like, you know, what we believe, you know, will be in the new airline, what is feasible and how these things can be go ahead and, and, and what will work you know, in the best interest of the, for, for everybody. And this due diligence, often a due diligence is done before a transaction is concluded. In this case, the transaction is virtually being concluded or you've been uh, appointed as the equity partner ahead of a due diligence. I, I don't quite understand that. And I think there has been some concern that you might walk away. Yeah, I think that, that we've had, had some of that concern being uh, being raised. However, when you look at our 
the consortium and its capability. It is not. Uh, it did not raise its hand for this interest out of any ignorance. It knows what it was bidding for. It has a view in terms of like you know what was in in SAA at the moment and what has happened a bit. They are there were some uh, information which could be a bit uh, more public that that we that we had from being in the industry and from you know, some of our work prior to this. So therefore, it's it's not as if it's like getting into an, an interest of something that we didn't know what to expect. So I think from that point of view, we it should be taken that we have a bit of a sense of what might be in there. We also have a sense of what the new airline that we are interested in would like to do and what has been there. We know some of the routes which are there. We know what is the, from a uh, technical side point of view, what was available. We, we know some of the challenges of, uh, you know, f- from Airchef's point of view that like, you no, know, that had stopped. So there's a bit of a view that we have. It is to just get a firmer and clearer investigation of the actual numbers and actual assets that remain and what will be necessary from a restarting of the airline going forward point of view. Phil Craig is the man behind Cape Independence. Well, I'm not sure if you're the only one behind Cape Independence, Phil, but it, it certainly seems like uh, your movement is gathering momentum. Yeah, <laughs> thank you, Alec. Nice to to be with you again. Uh, for sure, I'm, I'm definitely not the only one behind Cape Independence, but uh, but I'm the spokesperson for the uh, for the Cape Independence Advocacy Group or the CIAG. Uh, and on this occasion, we uh, the, the various groups or several of the groups in the independence movement uh, made a joint statement, and 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 I was in the hot seat to to do that. <laughs> But, but, and then, in terms of traction, for sure, where you, you know we we are making really significant uh, traction. I think uh, you know it's 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 something that's not going away because the problems that have caused it are are getting greater and not lesser. We'll get into more detail why you uh, are advocating for the independence of the Western Cape. But just to step back a little, in a recent interview that I had with Helen Ziller. Uh, who's the chair of the Democratic Alliance, she explained to me in quite a lot of detail why it was impossible for independence to occur <laughs> in the Cape. However, now that, there's, uh, that her own party has progressed with a private member's bill, which you're going to have to explain all of that to us, it seems as though she's addressing the, or that impossibility. Sure. And, and, and I think um, uh, we recently published an article, it was in News 24 about two weeks ago, took, uh, where, we, where we talked about growing autonomy being now the dominant political philosophy of the Western Cape. Um, and what, what we try to draw in there, obviously there are different lines. So, so the, the DA nationally are probably the most conservative of the groups in that space, and, and they are advocating for federalism, for control of the police, for control of, um, of the railways and several other things, and Clearly, they want to fight expropriation without compensation, and uh, they, they now want uh, uh, no race-based policies. And then past that, then you kind of have these kind of de facto independence. Afri Fordham now opened a branch in the Western Cape. They, they're asking for growing autonomy. And then you've got the political parties, the Freedom Front, uh, the Cape Party. Uh, you had the Hatful Capetonian movement, which is which is which is sort of birth of the Cape Colored Congress. The what? Um, the Hatful. Just say that again. The Hatful Cape. The Hatful Capetonians movement. Hatful Capetonians. <laughs> I mean, those would be cool T-shirts, I'm sure. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay. Yeah. Collectively, we all recognise there's a huge problem uh, that, that's, that's coming from the dominant political centre, which is the ANC, and, and that the, the future for the Western Cape is, is having more power. How much more power? Then, yeah, that, there's, a, there's a debate between us all. Obviously, for, for, for us, we want outright independence and secession. Um, yeah, the DA are, are, are not there yet, but they've moved heavily in, in, in you know, they moved heavily towards autonomy, and yeah, part of that is 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 a change of sort of philosophy. Um, but I think most of that actually is, is independence is, is a uh, movement that's led by the people of the Western Cape. It's not come political parties other than the Cape Party, who, you know, are quite small. And, you know, it, the, 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 this is something that people have led and drawn political parties into. It's not come from a political party that's, that's then come down to the people. And it's a real people's movement. And, and this latest move is, is symbolic of you know the strength of the movement there's now forcing political parties to 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 start taking this movement seriously and and to start uh, uh, engaging to some extent uh, with the, with with what the people want um, and i think you know the, the da's position is an interesting one i've always said you know, the, the, the DA have got themselves trapped in a box of their own making. So, so you know, the, the, the DA see the sort of the provisions, uh, you know, the provisions of the Constitution and the law as, as absolute, um, and uh, therefore they look at... So, so, so they're in a situation where they see problems, they understand the problem, they understand the cause of the problem, they understand the solution to the problem, but they feel that they can't actually enact that, that, that solution because something in the Constitution or the ANC or the, the, the division of power stops them so that so so and obviously i you know there's, there's, a, there's a certain degree of of, of uh, right in that position but ultimately you know for, for ourselves you know we're much more focused on saying creating the political reality in the ground saying look you know what let's not get too wrapped up on what this particular line in the constitution says or that line in that particular act it says morally there's a real issue here and actually that, yeah, the, the country is going to the dogs and we've got to save ourselves and actually saying, oh, well, it would have been lovely to have done X, Y and Z, but we couldn't, um, isn't really a very, very sensible solution. It certainly isn't the solution that the people of the Western Cape want. Um, okay. And I think that's where the DA, yeah. Uh, I, I see. And, and you've said a lot of things in, uh, in a short period of time, but let's just go back a little bit. <laughs> There's a thing called a private member's bill, which the DA yeah. is now going to be taking presumably to parliament where they're going to ask that it's not just the president but also the premier who can call a referendum in a province is that where it all begins uh, it, it is, uh, and, it's, and it's a little bit more more absolute than that. So the the the, um, the constitution, both the cons- the national constitution clause one two seven two f, and the Western Cape constitution at thirty seven two f, allow the premier of the Western Cape to call a referendum. So, so or, or in the national constitution, other premiers too. So the right, the constitutional right for premiers to call a referendum already exists. Uh, but those the the, the national uh, constitution was nineteen ninety six, and the last uh, amendment uh, to the to the referendums act, which is the legislation by which that will be enacted, was in nineteen ninety two. So you've got a scenario where the constitution says premiers can call referendums, but you've got a law that says only presidents can call referendums. So the law itself is is 
unconstitutional. So this is now rectifying that law. And actually, there isn't really any there isn't really any option for Parliament. I'm sure they'll fight over this. Um, but there isn't really any option. It, it's in the Constitution. It's the law just must, must be made constitutional because that law is unconstitutional. Uh, that's good, because I'm sure even your supporters would have said, well, the DA can try everything they like, but they do not have a majority in Parliament, so they can't enact it. But what you're saying is that the law already exists. You just have to almost clear up uh, some of the some of the residue. Sure, the, the constitutional right already exists, and n- now the law must be made constitutional. So there's a process, and obviously the the you know there is no doubt that that this right will become law. There's, there's there's a question that says how does that happen? Do the do the do the ANC not kick up a fuss in Parliament and allow and and basically allow this to this act to pass through with without too much trouble, um, or do they choose to defy the constitution, uh, vote against the act? despite the fact that it's a constitutional right and force the DA to go to the constitutional court, who who, who would then have to mandate Parliament to fix the legislation. So I guess there's an easy way and there's a hard way. And I presume there is a third option, which is that the ANC could seek to change the constitution to remove this right from the constitution. Uh, But that would be quite an extreme move and, and one that probably wouldn't be in their best interest. All right. So we take it one step further. Before you can have, or the advocates for independence of the Western Cape, can enact that, you need to get things clear in the law that you're allowed to have a a referendum called by the Premier. The President is clearly not going to be calling a a referendum in the Western Cape (laughs) for independence, but but you think that Alan Windy might... The DA themselves are keen to call referendums in the Western Cape. They may not be keen to call it on Cape independence per se, but they are keen to call referendums in the Western Cape. And in fact, yeah, when, when Helen Zilla was interviewed about uh, about three weeks ago on, on Joe Emilio, she made it clear at that point, although this hadn't been this statement hadn't been released, she specifically was talking about the independence movement. She specifically said, we support the independence movement's right to, to call referendums, and actually we, we support fixing the bill uh, and we support calling referendums once we fix the bill. So I think there's little doubt that the, uh, that the, the, the DA will be calling referendums in the, in the, in the Western Cape to, to, to try and get more autonomy for the Western Cape. What's going to be in those referendums uh, is, uh, is, is still a, a source of debate. Okay, so I think we understand it now really uh, well. Certainly I understand it very clearly, and anyone listening to this presumably will as well. Point one, you need to get the law cleaned up. Uh, to make sure that the law and the constitution are aligned. And that is this private member's bill. There's an easy way and a hard way uh, to go apart, uh, along these lines. If the, the hard way would be to go to the constitutional court and to enact it, uh, the very hard way would be to change the constitution. Uh, and that's what the ANC would, would presumably also consider at some point. So that's, that's point one. Point two is that the DA is doing this not to call an independence of the Western Cape referendum, certainly not at this stage, but to look for greater autonomy for the Western Cape. And from your advocacy group, what you're hoping for is that in time, once the law is fixed, you can actually call for that independence referendum. Have I got that right? Yeah, yes, yeah, largely, largely. So I think one of the one of the fascinating things with the with the referendums act as it currently stands 
is that the, the referendum uh, doesn't have to be just on on one question. So I think what we're likely to see is is a, is a referendum on general general autonomy for the Western Cape, and that's likely to have lots of different questions. And we would push very strongly for independence to be one of those questions on on that uh, on, on on that referendum. And I think the, the DA have already said they you know, they're very keen for control of the police, they control control of the railways. You would hope there would be some some question about uh, about race based legislation uh, about expropriation about compensation and then the da want federalism so you suspect federalism at some point is something they want to test uh, we want independence and of course there is a there is a position between federalism and independence that uh, that that, uh, that that doesn't often get talked about and that's confederalism um and uh, you know and, and and that will also be something that certainly from our side we would uh, you know we, we, we would we would like to explore alongside independence and federalism You've been listening to the Power Hour, brought to you by the team at Biz News.